Thank you for downloading and listening to another episode of the Irish Legislation Podcast with me, Barry Ward. Um, those of you who listen regularly will have noticed that we didn't have a, an episode last week, and that's due to a technical error on my part. So apologies for that. But we will be back next week with another episode, and that'll be the final episode of the year, as next week is the last sitting week of the of the Houses of the Oireachtas. Do stay tuned, though, over the Christmas break, when we hope to have a bonus episode on St. Stephen's Day, and we'll return with the new sittings of the Houses after the new year. But we'll talk to you next week. Thanks again. In the meantime, if you want to contact me, you can reach me at Barry dot ward at oroctus.ie or on Twitter at Barry M. Ward. Thanks. Welcome to the Irish Legislation Podcast with me, Barry Ward, a podcast looking at legislation as it passes through Oroctus Air in our National Parliament. You're very welcome to episode nine of the Irish Legislation Podcast. And this week we're talking about a private member's bill called the Irish Nationality and Citizenship Naturalisation of Minors Born in Ireland Bill 2018. So a slightly older bill, but it was before the Shannad uh, in recent weeks. Um, and it was sponsored primarily by Senator Ivana Bacic of the Labour Party. And today I'm joined by Senator Bacic and by David Leonard, Barrister at Law, who's a specialist in immigration and asylum law. Uh, Ivana, if I can come to you first, um, can you tell us just a little bit about where this bill is coming from and what it, what you intended to achieve? Well, uh, thanks for having me on and inviting me on, Barry. Um, it's great to be part of this podcast. I think it's a really good idea uh, to have a podcast on legislation. So our bill, is full title is the Irish Nationality and Citizenship Naturalisation of Minors Born in Ireland Bill 2018. And it's a bill, as you say, that um, has its, had its genesis in 2018. We introduced it then for Labour in the Shannad, but passed second stage um, despite being opposed by government at the time because we got support from Fianna Fáil and the Greens, who were then, of course, in opposition. And uh, what it proposed to do is to give a pathway to citizenship for children born in Ireland. So it addresses the 2004 citizenship referendum, which is, um, people would recall, amends Article 9 of the Constitution to remove automatic entitlement to citizenship upon birth in, in Ireland. Uh, and instead, that amendment um, changed Article 9 to facilitate the Oireachtas to legislate to provide for citizenship. So what our bill does is it sought to give, to restore some form of citizenship pathway for, for children born in Ireland, which, and that, of course, had been removed in uh, 2004. Now, Labour had opposed that referendum in 2004. We thought it was not a generous spirit to say that children born in Ireland wouldn't be entitled to citizenship. And what we want to do is to give those children and their families a kind of a, an opportunity to apply for citizenship. I suppose the immediate catalyst, Barry, in 2018 was a case widely reported of a young nine-year-old boy called Eric Sway, who'd been born in, and reared in Bray County Wicklow in National School in St. Cronin's in fourth class, but who he and his family were threatened with deportation to China, despite the fact that he had never known any country but Ireland as his home, and was effectively, without Irish citizenship or without a route to it, was effectively stateless. So, in fact, there was a big campaign to support Eric and, uh, and his family, and the minister at the time did grant them permission to stay in Ireland. But the case for us in Labour really exposed the difficulties for a small but significant number of families in Ireland as a result of the 2004 referendum. And we felt then that we would bring forward the bill to try and give uh, some form of certainty, legal certainty to children in that position. So upshot, just rapidly coming forward, we had got the bill through that first stage in the Shannon, what's called second stage in 2018. And then in December, just last week, 2nd of December, 
<clears throat> we brought it back to the next stage in the Shannon to committee stage, new government. Of course, Fianna Fáil and the Greens part of that government and, and uh, Minister McEntee very um, constructively said she would work with me if I agreed to adjourn the debate. And in fact, I'll be meeting with her officials next week. What we're going to see is how we can progress matters to ensure there is a pathway to citizenship or naturalisation for children born in Ireland and their families. And uh, we'll, I, I'm looking forward to working constructively with her on it, meeting with the officials next week. I mean, our bill would have given children a pathway where they were born here, had lived for three years here, and they could then apply irrespective of the legal status of their parents. That was the big change our yeah. bill would have I mean, I'll come to just the substance of it, just in terms of where it came from. I know that it is something that's very close to the heart of Labour members because Cormac O'Brien, one of your um, Labour youth leaders, um, was was a very strong advocate of this policy and unfortunately is no longer with us. Isn't that right? Thanks, Barry. And thank you for mentioning that. That's the more immediate um, motivation, I suppose. You know, we had already, as I say, introduced the bill. I had had many conversations with our wonderful dear friend and, and colleague and comrade, Cormac O'Brien, who was chairperson of Labour Youth uh, back in uh, around just November of last year in 2019. Cormac and I had had a long conversation about how we were going to make further progress with this bill. It was one of his passions was to bring it forward. And then tragically, he was killed in an accident, terrible accident in December of 2019. And yeah. it's really in his memory that Labour Youth then initiated a campaign called Born Here, Belong Here. Mm. And, we, and in his memory also that we then brought the bill forward and that we moved it further on in the Shannad. And we had a very positive and constructive debate in the Shannon on the 2nd December and you know just thanks to Barry to your Fine Gael colleagues and to all, all, everyone from all parties with support from Fine Gael, Fianna Fáil, um, the Greens in government and of course then Sinn Féin and the independents in opposition and everyone spoke positively about the bill and about Cormac's legacy. Well can I ask you then just about the, the bill itself you, one of the things you were at pains to point out both at second stage when it was in the Dáil in 2018 and in the, the more recent sorry in the Shannon uh, and the more recent debate in the Shannon was that this is not um, I suppose, overtaking the will of the people as expressed in 2004. It's, it is taking on board what they said and enacting, I suppose, provisions in relation to this subject. Yes, that's right. I mean, we were accused, you know, there's been, um, as anyone who's ever spoken on rights of uh, citizenship rights and more generous approach to immigration law will be aware, there is a terrible backlash and an awful lot of, uh, an awful lot of, I must say, very unpleasant sentiments expressed by those who are, who are against more generous immigration laws. That's unfortunate, you know, and it's important to withstand that. Nonetheless, we did want to make clear that we weren't seeking to overturn the will of the people. You know, clearly we accept the referendum result, albeit that we fought strongly to stop the referendum passing. We wanted to ensure children born in Ireland remained equal uh, when born here, that they had an equal right to citizenship uh, and that it shouldn't be uh, dependent on the status of their parents. I mean, we actually in Ireland, very generous citizenship laws based on bloodlines. So you don't ever have to have lived in Ireland or set foot here to be able to apply for citizenship on the basis of your parents' uh, entitlement to Irish citizenship. That's always struck me as an anomaly in the, uh, when compared to our now much less generous approach to citizenship on the basis of birth in this country. So we did want to, you know, our Labour stands for restoring birthright citizenship. But nonetheless, you know, this bill was a more modest proposal because we did want to win support across the House. And we did also want to uh, make clear to people that what we were trying to do was to, in fact, um, accommodate the will of the people as expressed in the Article 9 Amendment, which, you know, expressly, as I said, gives the right and entitlement to the Oireachtas to legislate for Irish citizenship or nationality routes. So that's what our bill seeks to do. Um, David, can I ask you about the, the content of the bill? I mean, you, you're a practitioner in this area. Um, in the first instance, are you aware of any repercussions from the decision of the people in the referendum in terms of people looking to come here, live here and ultimately become Irish? 
officially as opposed to just in terms of their daily lives? And secondly, um, do you see any implications from this bill that might affect the current system positively or negatively? Well, um, first of all, Ivana, can I ask you, um, when you're talking about the the bill, are you referring to it as initiated or are you taking into account the uh, proposed amendment um, at, at committee stage where you would actually uh, substitute a new, a new section for Section 6 of the uh, 1956 Act? Okay, thank, thanks, David. I'm glad you raised the amendments because um, the bill is initiated. It remains the bill in its current form. We did put down amendments at committee stage. They were, in fact, ruled out of order. So the amendments were never uh, discussed or debated because when the coherence of the Shannon rules them out of order, that's it. So through the amendments, I suppose, as, as you say, we had sought to, I suppose, adopt um, uh, a more a more radical perhaps approach uh, to act to return or revert to citizenship by virtue of birth rather than having any requirement that somebody a child would have lived here for three years which is in the original version of the bill we did put that in you know partly because labor youth had been and Cormac indeed had been um suggesting to us we might seek to restore the position pre-2004 but you know we were conscious and I mean I would always be conscious that inevitably in any legislative process particularly when coming from opposition there will be compromise and that, that the ultimate uh, outcome of the deliberations we're going to have with the minister would probably not be uh, the original birthright um, proposal. But we did want to put it in because, again, we I suppose I've been very heartened by comments by many, including those in government, including, in fact, the Tawnish, current Tawnish, who made some very positive commentary about our bail in the doll when Alan Kelly had asked him about it. So we were kind of heartened by that. And we actually thought in the two years since our bail was first proposed, Public opinion has moved, I think, to be more generous. I think there's now a consensus, for example, around abolition of direct provision. That wasn't the case two years ago. So we did feel justified in putting down a more radical proposal by way of amendment, albeit knowing that we might have, we would have to compromise and, in fact, anticipating it might be ruled out of order. So it's a long-winded response, David, to say we're still talking about the original bill. The amendments were ruled out of order. I should say my colleague Rebecca Moynihan in the Shannon had really been anxious that we put in an amendment as a separate amendment entirely in the bill uh, to reduce the um, the level of citizenship fee because anyone who's ever who's gone around about applying for citizenship will be aware there's a it's about a thousand euros it's very expensive to apply for citizenship and therefore you know we felt that's an unnecessary obstacle but I mean again that was ruled out of order as we anticipated it would be but I do think that also should be tackled they'll be saying I said that to the minister and I'll be saying it to her in our meeting next week as well. Just before I come back to you, David, Ivana, do you think that if there were an amendment to this to this bill to allow for birthright citizenship, and I, I must say um, I voted against this referendum, I remember it, I actually quite liked the fact that we were the only European country that mm -hmm. did have that, but um, it's something that came up in the course of the debate in the Shannon. Do you think that putting that back into the legislation does usurp what the people said in the referendum? I don't think so. I don't, and you know, and again, I would sort of to tackle any any suggestion that we're being undemocratic. The Oireachtas is entitled to legislation expressly given the power in Article 921, the new text, uh, to legislate up to and including birthright citizenship. So we've always made the point: you don't need another referendum to return to pre 2004 citizenship laws. Uh, so you know, I think if there was a sufficient majority in Dáil and Shannon for that. Well, I would be delighted. I think that's and that would show that I think that the that people have moved on. As I said, on direct provision, for example, there has been a clear political movement on yeah. that. And I think you know the 2018 repeal the eighth referendum on another topic has shown us again how public opinion moves and shifts right. over time. Yeah. Okay, David, sorry, I cut you off there. You were going to tell us about the effects of the bill and and how it sounds. Um 
Yeah, well, um, and thank you for for clarifying that about the, about the amendments, uh, Vanna. Um, yeah, the, the bill as initiated and as it stands is not uh, a radical measure. Um, yep. It would, it would, as Ivana uh, points out, provide a pathway uh, for for children born here to apply for naturalisation, um, but they would still have to meet uh, certain criteria that are in the 1956 Act as amended in order to be in order to qualify for the for the minister uh, to be able to consider whether. Uh, they should get naturalisation. So, for example, one of the requirements is that they be of good character. So if a child applied uh, for naturalisation and had a, a criminal record, and um, the minister could find that the child is not eligible uh, to, to apply because the child isn't of good character. Um, and then even, even if you satisfy all of the uh, criteria to, to become a naturalised Irish citizen, the legislation is very clear and the courts are clear that the minister has an absolute discretion about whether to grant the application. So, you know, as a matter of policy, if um, if the minister had evidence that there were too many children applying or something like that, it would be open to the minister as a matter of absolute discretion uh, to refuse people uh, as a matter of policy. And um, so it isn't a it isn't a radical measure. Um, the cha- the changes that it brings in really are that. Um, a child uh, who is unlawfully present in the state for, uh, or lawfully present in the state for two years uh, and who has been born here uh, can apply for naturalisation. Um, at the moment, um, you have to, well, sorry, it, it would be three years actually, because you have to have, you have to be, be uh, continuously resident in the state for the year before you make your application. And then the normal position is that you have to have four years lawful residence before the year immediately prior to your application. And this bill would change it to two years residence uh, instead of four years before the year prior to applying. Um, but that that um, that two years before the one year can be made up in bits and pieces over... So it, in over, effect, David, it reduces the requirement of five years residency to three. Would yeah. that be right? Yes, Yes, but it, it can be it can be unlawful residency. It doesn't have to be lawful residency. Right. And of course, in the case of children, I suppose it's if they are unlawfully resident here, it's not their fault. I suppose there's a significant difference between them and adults. No, and um, if we if we had a, a proper uh, a proper asylum system that was functioning very efficiently, it shouldn't get to the stage where somebody is in the state for three years unlawfully. <laughs> You know your your application for international protection should be dealt with before that, and if if you're found to be uh, not not qualified for international protection and you're not getting residency, the state should be in a position to deport you before you'd ever reach the, the three years. And um, so, I, ideally, this would only benefit uh, deserving cases. Mm-hmm. And can I ask you, I mean, because you're dealing with this in the courts on a day-to-day basis, are there many, firstly, are there many applications that are refused on a discretionary basis? Are there many times that you're aware of when the minister has deemed somebody not to be of good character and applications are refused on that basis? Or do you know? Very frequently. Uh, and the, the good, good character requirement is, is applied fairly strictly. Now, it, it can vary depending on um, who is the Minister for Justice at, at any particular time. But there have been people who have been refused for uh, having road traffic criminal offences. Um, so it's a very strict requirement, although it would be open to the whoever is the minister at the time uh, to, to 
to change what what he what he or she believes are the requirements of good character because the minister has a discretion as to that. Um, have you any idea of the kind of numbers that we've seen taking citizenship or naturalisation, I should say, really, in Ireland for who fall into this category or who might be affected by this bill? Maybe uh, an unfair I, question, but well, I'd have to look can, up statistics. Maybe Ivana knows. Yeah, yeah, I can say that actually because uh, we had a debate then uh, this week with uh, Minister McEntee again on a bill Alice Mary Higgins was bringing forward about seeking to put a uh, place a moratorium on deportations, and we were able to look at the figures for that. And Minister McEntee actually gave them. She says that the scheme she's looking at to regularise the position of undocumented people in Ireland, not all of whom, of course, would have children born here, but but many would. It's about 17,000 people, including about 3,000 children. Now, that was a figure, in fact, the Migrant Rights Centre had previously given us as an estimate. And I should say they and other NGOs have been really supportive of our citizenship bill and, you know, working really closely with us on um, on seeking to get it made law and seeking to have a sort of a route, a, frame, a framework in place for a regularising status. So that's the sort of figure we're talking about. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm glad to hear David say, you know, it is relatively modest, our proposal, reducing the residency requirement from five to three. I think probably the more important aspect is not so much the time frame, but in our bill, as you say, it's going, the child can make an application on their own behalf rather than, rather than the current law, which only gives a route to citizenship where the parent has been legally resident and the parent is legally entitled. And really, we're trying to place the child centre stage here and ensure that the child has the right to apply, even if they've been here where their parents didn't have legal status to be here. Um, and that's crucial, you know, because it's a children, for us, it's a children's rights issue. Um, and, you know, again, um, I think, Barry, you mentioned something about, you know, are we the only ones in Europe? Actually, when we did the research on, you know, European uh, law, citizenship laws, of course, this is a matter of national competence. And there is no EU framework or EU guide for citizenship laws. In fact, they vary very widely. There's some very interesting kind of legacy citizenship laws around birthright citizenship on the soil of a country and so on in other jurisdictions. But I think, you know, I do I do like the fact that Ireland might be, have more more generous approach to citizenship based on birthplace, place of birth on the island, precisely because of our history and because we've had such a long tradition of emigration of Irish people um, leaving here and going abroad and, and um, contributing to societies elsewhere. Well, one of the things that came up in the course of the debate on this bill and the um, moratorium and deportations bill that you mentioned from Senator Alice Mary Higgins was the notion that, yes, Ireland as a as a broad idea has a, has a generous regime in terms of citizenship, but that now particularly in the... Con- yeah. Yes, on bloodlines, yeah. But particularly in a post-Brexit context that the state feels it must be very aware of the fact that it is not just relating to Irish citizenship, but of course the wider European Union citizenship. And there is a concern among some people who spoke during those debates that loosening the the, the, the grip, if you like, would might potentially be seen as a backdoor into Britain or a backdoor from Britain into the European Union. Um, do you have any concerns about that or... Well, I mean, this is, I suppose, this is a great question because it's really sort of the floodgates argument that was used by the government so so successfully, unfortunately, in 2004, where they talked about, you know, the government of the day talked about the abuse of our birthright um, um, citizenship laws and so on. All anecdotal. I mean, these stories about women, you know, and quite misogynist. And there was some, some misogynist language, I should say, used about women coming to Ireland to give birth. And no statistics to back it up. Indeed, the statistics that what statistics 
were provided uh, referred to non-nationals. And actually, subsequently, Chloe Manahan in my office did a lot of delving on this and found that the bulk of those who were who were not Irish citizens giving birth were in fact EU citizens. And there wasn't the there wasn't there was nothing to support the argument that there were people coming from outside the EU to give birth to ensure children become citizens, that this simply wasn't the case. And actually last week we looked at the naturalisation, the the numbers around EU citizens, uh, sorry, around uh, applications for naturalisation and citizenship in Ireland. And we found the numbers of people in in Ireland applying for citizenship through naturalisation has actually declined steadily since 2012. But the share of EU national of EU nationals has increased. So while overall people applications for citizenship are decreasing, uh, am- among those who are applying, there is a massive increase of EU nationals, most of whom we would surmise uh, are, are British. So four uh, percent of those seeking Irish citizenship through naturalisation in 2011 were EU nationals. Only four percent in 2018. 49 percent of those seeking citizenship through naturalisation here were EU, and the number of applicants from the UK has increased sevenfold since 2016 in the Brexit vote. Uh, so Chloe's work, you know, she's a forensic analyst and lucky enough to have working in my office, you know, really shows that the, the data simply doesn't support the argument that. Law, these laws like these are widely abused or open to abuse. That in fact, you know, when one factors in the numbers of of uh, of not of non-Irish citizens who are EU nationals, one sees, you know, there's no there's clearly no incentive for, for persons who are already EU citizens to apply for Irish citizenship law in that way. I mean, that the argument is, you know, this is the back door to EU citizenship. It's not made out by the figures. Yeah, there were reports, I remember at the time, from the maternity hospitals that they were having situations where women were arriving into the country in very the very late stages of pregnancy. And I remember um, Dr. Keane, um, I'm sorry, I forget his first name, who was master of the of Hollow Street at the International Maternity Hospital at the time, certainly spoke to the papers and said that they had examples of women who had given birth in the airport and in the port on arrival. Um, I, yeah, I remember yeah. that language, Barry. I mean, it was it was... Uh, a lot of us found it deeply disturbing. It was really yeah. scaremongering. I, I must say, as a woman who, uh, well, at the time, I hadn't given birth in an Irish maternity hospital, but I have subsequently, and I remember feeling very uncomfortable that mm. the masters in the maternity hospitals were politicising their role to that extent. And indeed, it seemed to me breaching duties of care towards women who were pregnant and were coming to them looking for medical support and giving birth. So, you know, and there were no, and the other disturbing thing, as I say, was there was no figures provided. This was yeah. anecdotal stuff the, from Masters. So, you know, I think, yeah. I think those, a, that has to be There was a report on the 3rd of September 2003 in the Irish Examiner, and it was Dr. Declan Keane, yes. who said yes, that right. women who were obviously in labour when they got on the aeroplane or ferry and disguised their distress. Um, and uh, he, he was specifically referring, in fact, to the fact that there was no direct flight from Lagos to Ireland. And um, so many of the women had travelled through other European countries. So there was a lot of talk. I think it's sort of dog whistle of uh, language that was used at the time, I think. Well, I mean, and there's no criticism of of Dr. Keane in that regard. I mean, I presume he is reporting something that was said to him, but certainly the the public discussion was in that vein, wasn't it? Mm -hmm. It certainly was. And and yeah, when I say dog whistle, I mean, there was a lot of recurring themes there in the discourse around it. I was actually running for the European elections for Dublin at the time and there were some horrible racist, I was subject to some horrible racist language and it continued to be, unfortunately, um, but because of my name. So, but I mean, you could say I have a personal interest. My grandfather came to Ireland in 1946 after World War II, um, you know, seeking refuge here. He established Waterford Glass here, which is in real 
I think, a real uh, real evidence of the positive contribution that people who come to Ireland, people and indeed Irish people in other countries have made. And I think it's unfortunate that the language in 2004 was so negative. It was there was such undercurrents of um, of, of you know hostility towards people from other countries, yeah. to, from other ethnicities, and so on. And that was really unfortunate. when we should be you know sending out such a positive, you know, much more positive messages about inward migration here. David, speaking about that issue, obviously dealing with uh, asylum and immigration matters, you probably see um, a lot of different cases coming, primarily, presumably, from outside the European Union. Would that be fair? Well, um, you, you can only you can only apply for international protection if you're what, what's termed a third country national, so from outside the EU. Um, now, in, in, in extreme circumstances, you could technically apply as an EU citizen, but that's not going to arise as a, as a matter of practice. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it, it, w- it would be it would be non-EU citizens. Uh, prob- I'd, I'd have to check the statistics, but you have a lot. Alb- Albania would be would produce a lot of applicants for here. Um, Pakistan, Nigeria, uh, Georgia, um, but a variety of countries, not too many South American countries, more uh more Af- african countries that are flight links with with europe yeah um and it, i know you weren't in practice before the the referendum took place but i suppose was it the case that do you know was it the case before the referendum that there was the, there were people who were coming to ireland to have babies did that happen or are you aware of it uh, i'm only aware of the same reports in the media that um, no hard evidence um and I mean, cer- certainly um, the numbers of people overall coming to Ireland to claim asylum did increase in the 1990s and did increase um, in the early 2000s. Um, but I, I, I'm not aware of the reality of uh, how many how many people were pregnant coming here. Yeah. And then in terms of, of the kind of the more modern um, application of the law in terms of people who are seeking to remain here, do you deal with a situation where there are people who have been refused citizenship or refused naturalization um, who are then seeking other kinds of protection from Ireland? Um, well, the, the way the process works is that you can only seek uh, naturalization if you've been here lawfully for five years um, in general. So the, the people people who are seeking Irish citizenship are already lawfully here, and even if they refuse naturalisation, they will, in ninety nine percent of cases, still be able to remain here as a result of whatever residency status they have and be able to work and so forth. But then they'll have to renew that every so many years. Yeah, yeah. Technically, technically, they could get um, a five year. Uh, five-year long-term residence permission if they're not applying for citizenship for some reason. I mean, some people might want to, might be from a country where they'd have to give up their original nationality and they might not want to do that. But um, we, the, allowing people to, to uh, become naturalised citizens after five years is, I think, generous, um, according to most European countries. And um, Because if you look at the, there's an EU directive called the Citizenship Directive that deals with the right of free movement of EU citizens and the family members of EU citizens. And that directive provides that uh, once you've uh, moved to another EU country and have been living there for five years, you can apply for permanent residency. Um, but a, a, lot, a lot of people who come here as, say, the African family members of EU citizens, um, they don't need to apply for permanent residency after five years because they can actually apply for Irish naturalisation. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so we, they, we have to, they, they would have to have come here legally, though, as you say, isn't that right? Yeah, but if, if you're married to an EU citizen who comes here and is working or exercising economic rights in the country, you have a very you're you're almost here automatically uh, as of right. So uh, am I right in saying then that the import of the bill would be to transform the situation in terms of people who are in the other category who have come here illegally for one reason or another, or another maybe because they've even been trafficked or something like that, that they would, they, they, I suppose, the pressure on them to achieve the, that five-year legitimate residency in Ireland would be lifted? Well, they first of all, they'd have to have a child here mm-hmm. and then the child would have to be here for three years at least mm-hmm. um and then they they'd have to you know maybe maybe then they'd have a residency right but if the immigration if the immigration system is functioning properly and efficiently you shouldn't get to the stage of being unlawfully here for three years and having a child would it affect children who've been trafficked here but they wouldn't be born here so they couldn't uh their rights they would be the subject of the bill yeah um if if i can go back to you just in terms of the the mechanics or the process involved in this um you've you've told us already that and we know from the name of the bill that it was initiated in 2018 it obviously fell then at the election earlier this year and was reinstated by the government and you were saying that you've agreed to adjourn the committee stage debate or the third stage debate um and you're meeting with with Minister McEntee. In the aftermath of that meeting, it's, is, is it intended to bring back the bill and to amend it, or, or do you know yet what the plans are? Um, yeah, well, as you say, it, it had lapsed in earlier this year with the election. We actually restored it for Labour to the order paper and brought it forward then in our private members' time last week. And um, by you know negotiation and discussion with the minister, it was agreed that rather than press a vote, we would adjourn our private members' time until the new year. The minister and um, the Shannon leader, uh, Regina Doherty, have promised me that they will give government time to the bill to conclude committee stage in the new year, at which point there will be government amendments brought forward by agreement with me and you know there's we have quite a number of precedents for this sort of legislation I think it's really positive to see private members bills brought forward in this way Brendan Howland my colleague in the doll has a Coco's law bill to uh, penalise uh, online abuse and, which I see um, is scheduled for all stages on Friday of next week but that's again by agreement yes Brendan, I know absolutely yeah. Yeah, Brendan's been working yeah. again with Minister McEntee we, we actually had Brendan on, on last week on, the, on talking about that bill on the podcast oh, there you so, are. Yeah. yes that's right Right, of course, you tell me. So, uh, so you know, and I myself have had a series of different private members' bills that I've successfully steered through to become law by, again, by compromise, by consultation and negotiation with government. So usually, as you say, Barry, that's the route, is that we come back to committee stage with agreed amendments that the government puts forward, but having consulted with the opposition person, in this case myself, who has put down the bill. So I am anticipating that's what we'll see. Now, the minister has also said to me that if she can provide for a regularisation route without legislation, she may be putting that forward. Now, you know, I don't have any uh, ownership, you know, it doesn't matter how we do it. I've spoken with the Migrant Rights Centre and the Immigrant Council and other NGOs. They just want to see people here who've got this cloud of uncertainty hanging over them. They want to see them, they want to enable them to have a pathway to regularisation. So whether that's through a statutory scheme or a ministerial order, we have to wait and see. So it may not be through legislation. I'm, I'm hopeful it is because obviously that'll be a stronger underpinning for whatever mm. framework we see. But yeah. the main thing is to get moving fast on this. I should say, Barry, since 2018 and, and more recently now, since the bill has been in the public domain, you know, since we've had a publicity around the Born Here, Belong Here campaign, I've been contacted by so many families and individuals who are in the position where they have a child born here. In many cases, I mean, you know, as David says, 
due to the unfortunate delays within our system, they've been living here for long beyond three years. So you have children who are like young Eric, who was in fourth class before the legal process had finally ground to an end. And and, uh, and at that point, he had known no other home for nine the whole of his life, nine years. Mm-hmm. So, yes, we are conscious there are quite a number of families who have been waiting far too long in the system and really who have a stake here and who deserve to be, you know, who deserve to be enabled to become citizens. So I'm really heartened by the minister's approach, actually, yeah. and by her words and the words of the other government members who talked about mm-hmm. the need to regularise and to give a pathway to citizenship. Yeah, I think that's that's very fair of you. And, and I think in the context of the discussion on this bill and on the other private members bill on, on the moratorium and deportations, I think there is certainly an attitude coming from Helen McEntee that is very encouraging in terms of a desire to address these issues and to, to, to deal with people who are in limbo. David, um, you obviously deal with a lot of these people who are in limbo. Do you think this bill is going to have a substantial impact? I mean, I suppose these are probably not people who are likely to be coming before the courts in terms of challenges to deportation orders or things like that. But in terms of maybe some of the families you deal with, is this likely to make their lot easier? Um, it certainly would for, for people um, who, who who have children here, for who've been here for, for over three years, Um I mean, those children um, could apply for naturalisation under the the proposed new law, and uh, all going well, they would benefit from that. And then, if they're if they're children of an age where they would require their parents in the state in order to to uh, remain here, then they would be entitled to have at least one parent here under the EU Zambrano, the Ruiz Zambrano judgment. And um, so, so it would probably lead to lawful residency for the parents and citizenship for the child who's been here for over three years and everybody could um, work lawfully and get on with their, their lives and mm-hmm. the child who is who is Irish then could go to go to college or third level without having to pay the uh, the very expensive fees that are that are applied to um, to third country nationals who haven't been here for for the required period. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms then of, of the process, I don't know if you know, uh, this is obviously an application that's made to the Department of Justice, but Ivana was mentioning there that the child could make the application in his or her own right. At the moment, I suppose that has to be done through a parent um, because the child doesn't have any status. Is that right? Yes. Um, it's it, it, the, the, the Act provides that the applicant for a child is to be regarded as as the uh, as the parent rather than the child himself or herself, um, and I've always wondered about why it's like that. But this this bill would make it clear that for for children born here, the applicant is the child themselves, even if even if the parent is in practice filling out the form. Yeah. Okay. So I suppose I mean the parents presumably will still be in practice filling out the form, but it, it gives a new status to the child as the applicant. Um, yeah. Well, thank you very much, David uh, David Leonard, Barrister at Law, for joining us. And Ivana Batchi, congratulations on this uh, bill as we see it pass through the Shannon. And I hope that you're correct in your assessment of, of the progress that it'll make as, as it goes through. But congratulations. Um, and uh, thank you very both very much for joining us on the podcast, uh, Senator Ivana Batchi and David Leonard, Barrister. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Irish Legislation Podcast with me, Barry Ward. You can get me on Twitter at Barry M. Ward. Don't forget to subscribe and you won't miss any of the episodes as they come up on a weekly basis while the Oireachtas is sitting.